My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. Well, if you want to turn or follow along in Scripture today, you can turn to Ezra chapter 3. Um, this week, we're actually going to make some hay in the book. We, we've got a five-week a five series on the book of Ezra. And, and week one, we looked at Ezra chapter one. And week two, we looked at Ezra chapter two. And you may be aware that you can't get through a 10-book series in five weeks going one chapter at a time. The, those numbers don't add up. They don't, they don't work together. So today, we're going to cover four chapters we're, we're going to make things up. We're going to go Ezra chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. Now, don't worry. It's not four sermon, or it's not one sermon four times the length of last week. That, that's not what, what we're doing in order to make this work. But what we're going to do is we're, we're going to, there, there's a story that takes place through Ezra 3, 4, 5, and 6. And it's, it's the story of the rebuilding of the temple as they work to rebuild it. And what we're going to do is we started out our time in the book of Ezra saying that God wants to prophetic, for us to prophetically see the rebuilding of the temple as a picture of what it looks like for God to work in us. That, that as we look to see the Lord work in us, as, as we believe God already is working in us, that, that we can see in the building of the temple a prophetic picture of what it means that God will be working in us. And last week, we looked at Ezra chapter 2, this big long list of names and numbers. And what we were able to see was, was what the heart condition needs to be for God to work in us. And so, so what it looks like when, when we have a heart that, that says, God, I want to be used by you. What does our heart need to look like? And through this long, long list of names and numbers, we were able to see some things that, that come out of that. But this week I have for you what I believe a real chance to, to speak into your life. I've got four things. Maybe one will speak to you. Maybe all four will speak to you. I, I don't know what will speak to you. But my prayer is that as, we, as you are in whatever situation you found yourself in this morning, that, that one or two or three or four of all of these points will somehow resonate in your life. As maybe you've been seeking the Lord to work, that you've been praying, God, would you work in my life? Would you work in me? But you know you're not there yet. That, that I know that this is what I want to see, and I know that I'm, I'm getting towards there, but I'm, I'm not there yet. Or, or maybe you're, you're praying, and you know you're not even close. I don't even know that God started yet. I've been praying, and I've been seeking the Lord, but I still feel like I'm in the exact same place I was when I started praying a month ago or a year ago or longer as we're going to see in, in our text today. The, the, these four things that come from today's text that, that God really wants to encourage us with. And so last week we read about the, the, the captives coming home, the, this list of everybody who made their way home to rebuild the temple, to rebuild Jerusalem. And now starting in Ezra chapter 3, this is where the work begins, that, that this is where they finally start to get to work. 
And so for us this week, we're going to look at what it took for them to get to work and what their experience of, in this work looked like and, and see for us what it looks like for God and us, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the rebuilding process. Now, knowing where to start a building project is, is no small thing. Um, it was the same with the rebuilding of, of the temple. Um, I remember when I was putting together, um, we, had, we had had it, when we bought our house, um, the shed that our house came with, it was junk. Um, it was a garbage, and then we had the hailstorm and rainstorms, and it blew the doors off, and we never found them. Um, we don't know where they went. Somebody got some free shed doors. Um, but... Uh, but we were able to put in an insurance claim and they gave us money for a new shed where I thought, well, thank God you didn't give us the value of this because you'd have to pay, we'd be paying you to just take it away. But when we went to go build the shed, I thought, I don't need instructions. How hard can it be? I'll st I don't know, these were, I'll just start building it and see what happens. And it went exactly the way that you think it would go, that's right, Seth, can you believe it? What a silly guy I am. But knowing where to begin, it's no small thing. And it was the same for them with re the rebuilding of the temple. They, they've got this huge mammoth project to undertake. So, so where do they begin? After they've made it home from Jerusalem, everybody's settled. In verse 1 it says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. It's time to get to work. And on the first day, you can imagine them getting up early in the morning and having a nice hearty breakfast and everybody turning up to the building site, bright eyes and enthusiastic for what they're about to do. They're all wearing their new overalls. They've got their new hammers and everybody's just looking for something to do. What can we do? Where do we start? What do we do, everybody? What's the priority? What do they do first? Well, verse 2 tells us that they, they start their work on the altar. That this is the place where they, they choose. It says, then, somewhere in here, for my clicker. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, son of his father, and his associates began to build the altar of God in Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And so that's where they decide to start. They think what we need to do is we need to at least be able to get back to worship and sacrifice. So let's start there. Let's, let's begin there. We'll, we'll start by building the altar and then we'll figure it out from there. So, so it says that they do that and it says that they begin to sacrifice to God right away, that as soon as they get it built. And so they've done this. So now, altar done, check. We're crossing stuff off the list. What's next? Well, if we jump ahead to verse 10, we see that the next thing they do is they lay the foundations for the temple. But, but there's something I want to highlight for you that subtly takes place here that even if you read it, even if you read it closely, you may have skipped past or skimmed past without even realizing it. But it's something that's really important. It's, it's the timeline here. See, it's important that we know that rebuilding isn't always a quick thing. Verse 10 tells us that the next thing that they do, the next thing, so they built the, t they built the altar. Next thing we're going to do, the next thing it says that they, they, they were going to do is that they're going to, to lay the foundations for the temple. 
But do you know how long it took them to get there? It seems like if you're reading this, well, they did this one, and then they did the next, and we're moving on, and we're moving on, and we're moving on. But verse 8 tells us that the jump from verse 7 to verse 8, that two years pass. It says, after the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem. See, as we read the Bible, it's important to note carefully the time markers. Otherwise, we can be tempted to think everything happens really quickly. And then wonder why in our lives some things seem to take time. That we read it in scripture and it only took me 30 seconds to read. Why is it taking so long in my life? Why is this process taking me so long? It took me seconds to read, but those seconds encapsulate years of time. And so it's terrific that they're finally making a start on the temple. But the fact remains, it's taken two years to get to this point. And in two years, all they've done is to build the altar and to construct the foundations of the temple. Verse 10 will tell us, it says, When the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took to their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a, gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundations of the house of the Lord had been, or had been laid. It's amazing, but it's still two years into the process that they had this moment of this incredible work of the Lord where God said, go back and rebuild the temple. And two years have passed and they've built an altar and some foundations. See, we need to know and we need to understand that it takes a long time to build the temple. And sometimes takes a long time to build us. We're not changed in the people that, into the people that we should be through, through one Bible study. A church family doesn't become the people it should be through one awesome sermon. The, the nation, Canada, will not be one for Christ in a day. It might not be one for Christ in a year. It might not be one for Christ in a lifetime. Rome wasn't built in a day. Jesus talked about this in his parables in Matthew chapter 4. After sowing the seed of the word, Jesus says, it takes time before there's growth. It's helpful to be reminded that even in scripture, as we watch the miraculous, incredible provision of the Lord... It's helpful to be reminded that things take time because it's so easy to become discouraged and impatient with the slow process we can experience in our own lives. That we can read a story in scripture and go, look how quickly that happened. Why isn't that my story? Why isn't that somehow they did that so quick and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and nothing. 
And so it's important that we come back at times to just look and go, oh, right. Sometimes things take time. Two years, and this is all that's happened. But the building of the temple shows us that it's not always just about overnight solutions, but that we need to be in it for the miracles that take a moment. And we need to be in it for the miracles that take time. We need to be in it for the long haul. Sometimes rebuilding takes time. Now, we close that, that section there, reading that there was people, that the people were giving shouts of praise because the foundations were built. But the next couple of verses actually tell us that this isn't actually the only response that's given to the rebuilding. See, even as, as we struggle with the pace that things are going at, that took place back then too. We read that there's people giving shouts. The first response is full of optimism. People are praising God full of joy. They are, they're nowhere near completing the temple, but they've made a start. And they've seen some progress, and it's filled the people with hope. But as we continue reading the next verse in verse 12, tells us that there's another response as well. When it says, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who'd seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundations of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Verse 13 says, No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard from far away. So the people are ecstatic. The progress is being made. The house of the Lord is being built. But there's some who look and they weep. Because this isn't what it was. This isn't what it was. This isn't, we're not, this isn't the old temple. This, this isn't going the way that it's supposed to. They think back to the days before the exile when the temple stood in all of its glory. Now two years after their return and all they've achieved is to rebuild the altar and the foundations. They're distraught. This temple, this thing that, that you are so excited about, it's a former, or it's a shadow of its former self. And so they wept. And they wept loud. See, what we need to know about this is that rebuilding isn't always obvious. That as our life goes through this process, it's not always clear exactly where we are and what we are. In verse 13, we read of both the pessimistic and the optimistic responses. No one could distinguish the sound of joy from the sound of sorrow. Now, we're not told which one was right. And there, there's probably an element of truth in both. But when we see people change and grow and things happening that are bringing us in the right direction, we can rejoice because God's at work. But while we might not be where we want us to be, what we would imagine we would be or, or where we'd like to be, and, and we can see God's still got so much more to do. We're still so far away. We can see the work is far from done. 
history sometimes shows us how far we've fallen. And it can bring tears to our eyes. But a scripture that, that there's a verse in scripture in, in Zechariah that, that speaks to, to our understanding of this when, when it says that we should not despise the day of small things. Or other translations will say, do not despise the small beginnings. And while we may look at the temple and lament and be frustrated because it's been two years and this is it. We can also have hope. Because while we may not be where we want to be, God has been faithful to carry us this far. And we can believe that he will see us through to where he wants us to be. And so we come to the end of Ezra 3 with the people of Judah having rebuilt the altar and laid the foundations of the temple. They've finally begun to make some progress only for what always seems to happen when God is at work. Opposition begins to come. See, rebuilding isn't always popular. But actually, if we look, what happens in the next couple of verses initially doesn't seem to look like opposition. Verse 1 says, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard... Now, the fact that Ezra says enemies there is like a big spoiler alert. But when we, we read through this, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to, to Zerubbabel, to the heads of the families, and said, let us help you. Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of their king of Assyria, who brought us here. Now, we read that Ezra called them enemies, but this, this doesn't seem like enemies. It doesn't sound like enemies. They sound like friends. They sound like people coming to help. They even say, we're following the same God as you. Which is what makes the response from Judah's leaders in verse 3 a real surprise. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the, the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King, or as king Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. So why do the leaders see these people as enemies and so categorically reject their help? See, the devil's in the details. They say, we've been sacrificing to God since the time of Esherodon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But history tells us that when this Esherodon guy was king is the time that there was no temple and there was no altar. So that means that these people have not been sacrificing at the temple altar in Jerusalem, which, which has just now been rebuilt. So what they're claiming to wor or so while they're claiming to worship God, the same God as Israel, they don't. They can't. And they haven't been. Their view of God and who God is is totally different from the God of Judah. And we talked about last week how seriously God takes that. That, that when God gives the instruction on who is and who isn't and who's in and who's out and who can and who can't, 
that, that it was important for, for the people of Judah then, and it's important for them in this part of the story, and it's important for us today that, that they are grounded in the word of God. So Zerubbabel rightly declines their offer and refuses to work with them because they, they don't believe in God and they can't help rebuild his temple. And then because of that, things quickly seemingly turn nasty. They turn bad. Um, this is first through discouragement and trying to fight and frighten the workers. Verse 4 says, Then the people around them set out to discourage them, to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. And then they continue by trying to get others to gang up and frustrate the work that they're doing. Verse 5 tells us, They bribed officials to work against them and frustrated their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And the language that's used here is really interesting. Um, there are three participles that are used in these verses, and each one indicates continuing action. So it could be translated that they kept on discouraging them. They kept on frightening them. And they kept on bribing people to work against them. It's, it's not just that they did, but they continued. They continued, and they are. And it's not just the grammar that tells us of, of the relentless nature of, of this opposition. The rest of the chapter does too. We, re, we read that this, the, this, we talked earlier about the importance of time markers. And, and we read that the oppositions halted the building project. And it's a, during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. That meant something to them. It means something to us, we just don't know what it means. Does anybody know how long that was? Why would you? There's no reason to know that, but it was 15 years. 15 years, this opposition stood in their way, and nothing got done. Now, 15 years is a pretty long time to come to the conclusion that the opposition had won. That in 15 years, it wouldn't be hard to come to a place where you would say, you know what, we've lost this one. They've been successful. Imagine for a moment starting a project, starting a journey. How long? How many days, weeks, months, years of consistent frustration and opposition would you be willing to endure before you just gave up and said, you know what? This is enough for me. We're good. I don't, I don't need to keep going. Maybe I missed it. Maybe I misunderstood from the very beginning. I'm working so hard on this and we're not getting anywhere. Maybe I misunderstood it from the very beginning and I'm trying to do something and I'm not even in the will of God. Maybe we look and we go, maybe God's not as powerful as we thought he was. Maybe we look and we go, we've lost the battle. We should have done something different before. But we come to this place where I don't know that I would make it 15 years. That's a long time to be losing. It's a long time to be frustrated. As we go through the work of rebuilding, 
of God working in us, there's going to be opposition. We will encounter enemies towards where we're going. Sometimes the very people who said they're with us will seemingly begin to work against us. Rather than encouraging us on their journey, they'll, they'll put obstacles in our way. They'll try to frighten us with all manner of threats. They'll get others to join in their opposition, which, which seemingly will just keep coming. And at times, this opposition will appear to frustrate God's ministry, what God is trying to do. But when that happens, we must continually place our trust and our hope in God and his plan. But after 15 years the opposition, of the opposition seemingly winning, the will of the people must be coming to an end. But in verse 5, we're introduced to a couple of people. We're introduced to Haggai and Zechariah, um, two prophets who each have their own separate books of the Bible, that you can read the book of Haggai and you can read the book of Zechariah. But these two Old Testament prophets, they arrive in Jerusalem and they begin to proclaim the word of God, that they begin to remind the people, this is who we serve. This is the God whom we serve. Don't let the opposition win. Don't let the enemy have his way. We can, stand, we can do this. We can do the work of the Lord. And through their encouragement and their, their, their speaking to the people, the work begins to happen again. Things begin to take place. But no sooner does the work of the temple begin than opposition comes again. It's not necessarily the blatant opposition of Ezra chapter 4 that we read, but red tape. Tatani and, and Shethar Boazani, along with other officials from, from the, the area, sort of the governing officials, it's called the Trans-Euphrates, and we're going to come back to that phrase a few times as we look here. But the, the leaders of kind of the area, they come to the people and see them building, and they say, hey, you got a permit for that? They want authorization codes and planning permissions, completed forms and the like. They come and they say, hey, hey, fellas, is this up to code? Hey, you need to put a stop here because we're not sure that you're allowed to be doing this. Remember, it's been 15 years. There's a new king in town. Cyrus isn't even the king anymore. There's a new king in town. Now, as opposition goes, this, this seems a lot less menacing and, and, and a lot less fear-inducing than the threatening and the bullying behaviors that, that came before but it's still intimidating. In verse 4 of, of, of Ezra chapter 5, it says that, that, that these people, they want names. They want to know who's exactly in charge here. The officials here want names so, so that if they can, can discover that, the, that the, this building is unauthorized and the king hasn't said so, that, that they, can, they can hold these people accountable. But despite the meddling of, of the governor of the trans-Euphrates trans, trans and his associates, we're told this in verse 5, and this is the point we're going to close with today. But the eyes of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews. And they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply could be received. See, it's interesting if you read the book of Ezra, actually a, a huge amount of the story that we've been told is just letters back and forth. 
It's just copies of this guy wrote a letter to the king and this is the king's reply and this other guy wrote a letter. But it says that, that God would not let the work be stopped until Darius replied. See, the last thing that we need to know about rebuilding is that rebuilding is always in God's hands. That whatever we're experiencing and whatever we're going through, whatever this moment in our life looks like, it's still in God's hands. God is still over his people, ruling over them, watching over them, and protecting them. God is sovereignly overruling to enable the work to continue. That's what we see in the rest of this chapter and, and the next chapter. The sovereignty of God ruling over the opposition in a most incredible way. But there's more to God's sovereignty. And we, we talked about this earlier. It's not, it's not just that God overcomes the opposition. But what we're going to see here is this idea of red tape. And this idea that this is how we're going to stop is we're going to make them get approval from the king. That God's not just going to overcome that, but he's going to use that for the advancement of his plan. See, in, in Tatanai's letter to King Darius, who's now the king after Cyrus, who was king back when the book opened, we see that God's people, they refuse to stop rebuilding. He says, that there's, in his letter to the king, he says, they're continuing to build. We need to know what's going on here. Tell them to stop rebuilding the temple. And, and so wanting to check out these claims that the people have made where they say, Cyrus said we could... The officials of the Chans-Euphrates, they ask King Darius to, to search his records. And Darius does just that. Darius finds the scroll which confirms that King Cyrus had indeed authorized the building of the temple. But that's not all he discovers. See, if you go back to Ezra chapter 1 when we first began, we talked about the miracle wasn't just that the people were given the opportunity to go back and rebuild. But King Cyrus said, God has laid it on my heart to pay for all of this, to pay for it all. And this is what King Darius finds, is this scroll that says, not only are they allowed to go do this, but we're going to pay for it. Verse 6 um, is, is, is the King, King Darius's reply to these officials. And he starts with, now then, Tatanai, governor of the Trans-Euphrates and his other guy, you and you other officials of the province, stay away from there. Do not interfere with the work on this temple of God. Let the governor of the Jews and the Jewish elders rebuild this house of God on its site. He says, leave them alone. You want to know what I think? You wanted me to go back? This is what it says. Get out of there. Leave him alone. But more than that, he, he discovers what Darius says, or what, what Cyrus had said, and he says, tells them that they're to do whatever the Jews want and give them whatever they need. Verse 8 says, Moreover, I hereby decree that you are to do for the elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates so that the work will not be stopped. Whatever is needed 
young bulls, rams, male lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven and wheat, salt, wine, and olive oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem must be given to them daily without fail so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. See, the governors had come and said, Darius, you need to go back and find this. You can't work on this until the king goes back and looks. So the king goes back and looks, and what happens is the exact opposite of what they were hoping for. See, the king doesn't just go, yeah, they're, they're allowed. He's reminded that we, and actually these people who are trying to get it stopped, you're supposed to be paying for this. So it's not just that you need to allow them to continue. Start writing some checks. Start getting the stuff to them. It's not just that he overcomes the opposition, but those who were trying to oppose are now paying for the thing they were trying to stop. Here we see how God takes the evil schemes and opposition of men and not just overcomes it, but actually uses it for his good purposes. And this last point is what really puts the first three in context. See, what rebuilding is, that rebuilding is always in God's hands, is far more important than what rebuilding isn't always. Even if it's not always quick, even if it's not always obvious, even if it's not always popular, it always is in God's hands. See, God is always on the throne in our lives and in our world. And sometimes what we see and what we think don't always match up. That we want to see this go quickly. We want it to be obvious. We want it to be evident. We want it to be celebrated. We want it to, we don't want opposition. Uh, if this is God, why is this hard? If I'm following God, this should be good. This should be easy. This should be fast. And it's not always that. But what we hold on to, that whatever it is, it's always in his hands. Two years in, and all we have it's just an altar in the foundations. We should be further than this. It's taking too long. There's too much opposition in my life. There's frustration on top of frustrating over and over. And I'm trying and it seems like I'm getting nowhere. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was talking about, you know, pastoring during COVID and, and doing all of this. And I said, it's like the car is in park in the driveway and I'm ready to go. And I put the car in reverse and begin to back out and a car goes by. So I've got to stop. Okay, now the car's gone by. Let's go. And it, another car comes by. And it just, you're, you're frustrated and frustrating and frustrating. But the point of it is not that it's frustrating. The point of even in its frustration, it's still in God's hands. No matter how it looked and how it looks, what we can see from these pages and the story from our text today is that God is always sovereign. Fifteen years of frustration and agony for the people God's plans were still going to come to fruition. 
It's still God's plan and his purpose that will come to pass. It's not just that God will overcome, but we see from what we have read today that God will use it. All of it. Whatever it is in your life, God will use it. And so I hope that whatever you're facing, wherever you find yourselves, your heart, your life today, that you would find hope and encouragement from the construction of the temple. Let's pray. Father God, each one of us today comes to you at a different spot, a different place, a different moment in the building of our lives. God, some of us are seemingly showing up on the first day of work, wondering exactly what it is that we're supposed to do. What are we, what, what am I even here for? Some of us, it's been two years and this isn't quite what we thought it was going to be. Some of us are in the middle of times of opposition where it seems like whatever we're trying to do, we're getting stuffed and rejected. We're getting pushed back and it seems like all of our efforts are futile. God, all of us need the hand of the Lord to be at work in our lives. And so, my, God, my prayer for, for each one of us today, God, is that, that wherever we find ourselves this morning, God, first, may we be able to place our trust in you. God, may we be able to trust in the midst of the unmet expectations in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the discouragement, in the midst of the seasons of frustration, in the midst of the times when it seems like, God, you're not doing anything, in the midst of the times when it seems like the opposition is winning. God, may we be able to, to put our faith and our trust that whatever is happening, it's in your hands. And then, God, I pray in faith for each one here that finds themselves in those situations. God, I don't just pray that somehow we would be able to trust that your hand would be at work. But God, I pray in faith that in this moment your hand would be at work. That, that the hand of God that provided for the building of the temple and provided again. And even as the opposition seek to use the, the king of Persia as a weapon, God, you turned that and used it for your own purposes. God, I pray that for each one of us gathered here today that needs to see that in an area of our lives, in many areas of our lives, God, in our lives just in general, God, may today be that day. May now be that moment. May this be a time in our lives where the hand of the Lord is at work, the hand of the Lord is moving, and the hand of the Lord is shown mighty and strong in each and every life and in each and every situation. God, we need you. We need you to work in our lives. So God, we commit our rebuilding to you. We commit your work in our lives to you. We trust you. We believe you, and we pray, God, come and work. Come and do what only you can do. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. 
If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. Though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Yeah. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. Your faith.